Welcome to this PTJ podcast. PTJ is the official publication of the American Physical Therapy Association. PTJ disseminates basic and applied science related to physical therapy, contributes evidence to guide clinical decision making, and publishes scholarly perspectives from around the world. And now, your host, Donovan Stutel. Welcome to PTJ's Audio Abstracts podcast for December 2010, Part 2 of 2. Part 1 of this Audio Abstracts podcast covers the research reports, case reports, and perspective articles in the December issue. This month's issue features the Pediatrics Special Issue. The special issue is introduced by editorials by Editor-in-Chief Dr. Rebecca Craik and by Special Issue Editor Dr. Paul Helders. The special issue also will be the feature of a forthcoming discussion podcast with special issue authors Dr. Regina Harborn, Dr. Beatrix Varaiken, and Dr. Linda Fetters. The articles in the pediatric special issue focus on variation and variability in human motor development, variability in postural control during infancy, complexity of childhood development, variability in the development of human action, opportunities for early intervention, and sitting postural control in children with cerebral palsy. First, variation and variability, key words in human motor development, by Dr. Mina Hatters-Algra. This abstract is presented by Dave Corvoisier. This article reviews developmental processes in the human brain and basic principles underlying typical and atypical motor development. The neuronal group selection theory is used as theoretical frame of reference. Evidence is accumulating that abundance in cerebral connectivity is the neural basis of human behavioral variability, that is, the ability to select from a large repertoire of behavioral solutions the one most appropriate for a specific situation. Indeed, typical human motor development is characterized by variation and the development of adaptive variability. Atypical motor development is characterized by a limited variation, that is, a limited repertoire of motor strategies, and a limited ability to vary motor behavior according to the specifics of the situation, that is, limited variability. Limitations in variation are related to structural anomalies in which disturbances of cortical connectivity may play a prominent role, whereas limitations in variability are present in virtually all children with atypical motor development. The possible applications of variation and variability in diagnostics in children with or at risk for a developmental motor disorder are discussed. Dr. Mina Hatters-Algra is Professor of Developmental Neurology in the Department of Pediatrics Developmental Neurology at the University Medical Center Kroningen in Kroningen, the Netherlands. Next, variability in postural control during infancy, implications for development, assessment, and intervention by Dr. Stacy Dusing and Dr. Regina Harborn. Variability is commonly considered a key to typical motor development. However, multiple definitions and quantification systems have limited the clinical interpretation of variability and the translation of developmental research to assessment and intervention. The purposes of this perspective article are, one, to highlight the importance of statistical variability and complexity in postural control during development, and two, 
to describe implications for assessment and intervention during infancy and early childhood. Five tenets are proposed describing the role of variability in postural control to support movement experiences, exploration, and global development. Evidence for assessment and intervention focused on variability in postural control are introduced. Two videos accompany this article online. Lead author Dr. Stacy Dusing is assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at Virginia Commonwealth University Medical College of Virginia campus in Richmond, Virginia. Next, the complexity of childhood development, variability in perspective, by Dr. Beatrix Verikin. The complexity of childhood development is exemplified in the variability of development that is seen across tasks and individuals. Furthermore, variability in performance is omnipresent within individuals across repetitions of a task and across individuals performing the same task. Previously, this variability was thought to reflect error of measurement or error of execution. On this account, variability reflects noise that should be filtered or averaged out of the data in order to reveal the true underlying characteristics of the performance. Although errors of measurement and execution indeed contribute to variability in movements, research in the last two decades has revealed characteristics of variability that are far more interesting than just noise. These characteristics can be deeply informative about underlying control processes and point to directions for clinical practice. This perspective article reviews different ways of characterizing variability, illustrates changes in variability as a result of development and learning, and discusses different theoretical perspectives on the role of variability that give clues about how to understand changes in variability and how to deal with variability in clinical settings. Dr. Beatrix Verikin is professor in the Human Movement Science Program at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology in Trondheim, Norway. Perspective on Variability in the Development of Human Action by Dr. Linda Fetters Humans are designed not only with variability, but for variability. This article explores the important contribution of variability to successful human action. Human systems for action have abundant variability of tissues and processes. This plasticity provides for the necessary flexibility when humans encounter the metric and dynamic changes of growth, development, and adaptation of action across the lifespan. However, variability must have definable limits. The reduction of possible solutions to probable solutions and the reduction of variability appear to be common assumptions of most theories of human action. The lack of variability of action is a hindrance to the development of skilled functional action and excessive variability interferes with the production of automatic, dependable, and typical functional action. The lack of variability and excessive variability are hallmarks of the movement patterns produced by people across the lifespan following neurological insult. Active problem-solving as therapy, with its inherent error as part of the therapeutic process, is critical to the successful learning of functional actions. 
The role of the physical therapist is to create movement environments and provide personal and environmental constraints that elicit and support self-produced functional actions. Dr. Linda Fetters is professor and Sykes Family Chair in Pediatric Physical Therapy, Health, and Development in the Division of Biokinesiology and Physical Therapy, Department of Pediatrics, at the Keck School of Medicine, University of Southern California, in Los Angeles, California. Next, opportunities for early intervention based on theory, basic neuroscience, and clinical science by Dr. Beverly Ulrich. Therapeutic approaches in the pediatric population have generally been less aggressive than those implemented for younger and older adults. Several factors contribute to this, starting with the challenge of engaging infants in the goal of therapy, their resistance to initiating behaviors that are uncomfortable or fatiguing, the desire to make therapy as functionally relevant as possible when many functional skills have yet to emerge, and residual history of outdated theoretical concepts. On the practical side of who will pay for this more aggressive approach, there is limited empirical evidence based on randomized controlled trials to convince third-party payers to fund more extensive services. This article outlines a theoretical perspective, prominent in developmental science, that argues not only for the importance of frequent bouts of functionally relevant activity on the self-organization of behavioral patterns, but also for the impact that should be expected from the use of rigorous interventions on underlying subsystems, such as neural organization, that support these outcomes. In order to propose some future opportunities for clinical research and application, examples from recent activity-based clinical studies are presented, along with theoretical principles, neuroscience, and other tissue science data concerning mechanisms that contribute to behavioral changes. One such opportunity is to increase the structured engagement of caregivers, guided by therapists, in administering well-defined activity intervention programs focused on the development of specific functional skills. Such an approach may be one of the few financially feasible options for generating sufficient therapy that adheres to principles for optimizing development of neuromotor control. Dr. Beverly Ulrich is professor and director of the Developmental Neuromotor Control Laboratory in the School of Kinesiology at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Lastly, a comparison of interventions for children with cerebral palsy to improve sitting postural control, a clinical trial by Dr. Regina Harborn, Professor Sandra Willett, Anastasia Cavellado, Dr. Joan DeFaze, and Dr. Nicholas Sturgio. The ability to sit independently is fundamental for function, but delayed in infants with cerebral palsy. Studies of interventions directed specifically toward sitting in infants with cerebral palsy have not been reported. The purpose of this study was to compare two interventions for improving sitting postural control in infants with cerebral palsy. For this randomized longitudinal study, infants under two years of age and at risk for cerebral palsy were recruited for intervention directed toward sitting independence. The intervention was conducted at home or at an outpatient facility. Fifteen infants with typical development, whose mean age at entry was five months, were followed longitudinally as a comparison for postural variables. 35 infants with delays in achieving sitting were recruited. 
the infants with delays were randomly assigned to receive either a home program one time per week for eight weeks or a perceptual motor intervention two times per week for eight weeks. The primary outcome measure was center of pressure data from which linear and nonlinear variables were extracted. The gross motor function measure sitting subsection was the clinical outcome measure. There was a main effect of time for the gross motor function measure sitting subscale and for two of the center of pressure variables. Interaction of group by time factors indicated significant differences between intervention groups on two center of pressure measures in favor of the group with perceptual motor intervention. The small number of infants in the study limits the ability to generalize the findings. Although both groups made progress on the gross motor function measure, the center of pressure measures indicated an advantage for the group with perceptual motor intervention. The center of pressure measures appear sensitive for assessment of infant posture control and quantifying intervention response. Lead author Dr. Regina Harborn is associate professor in the physical therapy department at the Monroe Meyer Institute. University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. We always appreciate your feedback. You can email ptj at scienceaudio.net or leave a voicemail at 626-593-7825.